working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everybody, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my interview is with drummer Pete Parada. For close to 10 years, Pete has been touring and recording with the band The Offspring. Before that, and before his recent move to Nashville, Pete lived and worked on the West Coast where he toured and recorded with well-established bands like Face to Face and Saves the Day. Pete talks about his early days at MI and has some great stories of working with Rob Halford from Judas Priest as well as filling in for Josh Freese to play a handful of shows with Devo. As always, you can go to workingdrummer.net to find out more about this podcast and other episodes that we've done. Go to iTunes where you can subscribe to this podcast, and while you're there, you can do a rating of this podcast and leave a review. Those always help us. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So in Nashville, there are two great drum companies, Mapex and Sonar, distributed through a company called KHS America. And I recently approached them about the possibility of supporting our podcast, and they said, you know what, come to our office and check out and play this new entry-ish level Mapex kit that we are running a holiday promotion on. Uh, okay. So the idea uh, was more or less, if you dig the kit, talk about it. If not, we'll think of something else. They wanted me to have a real experience. And uh, so, yeah, I played it. It sounded great. Uh, now it's been a while since my first kit, but I have to say I lucked out and got a great kit for the money and it got me through college and into my professional playing years. I think those kinds of well-made entry and mid-level kits are hard to find these days, but this Mapex kit is a killer sounding and great looking kit. It's called the Mapex Storm and the kit I played was one up, two down, 12, 14, 16, 18 by 22 kick and a matching snare. Planet Z, Zildjian Symbols, Crash, Ride Hi-Hat, and of course, all the hardware needed for that setup. I have to be honest, the kick pedal design was not my cup of tea, as it was a heelless plate. But it also tells me that Mapex is not afraid to think outside the box. The street price, as they call it, for all those drums, with hardware and cymbals, for this promotion is $7.99. Mapexdrums.com is where you can go check out the Storm Series and find your nearest Mapex dealer. And I realize that there are those of you listening right now who have moved beyond this level, but if you know a student, a church, or anyone looking for a complete, great-sounding kit, the Storm Series by Mapex just might be the answer. So let's get to it. Here is Pete Parada. I'd been doing the Offspring gig, and those guys are all Southern California, born and raised. Like that's yeah, their yeah. that's their place. And um, I had lived in LA for 15 years, and I enjoyed living up north where my wife was from. But she could tell, like in between tours, like I would try to get something going there. Like just you know, I'd play with some of the local bands and whatever. But it was a strange scene there where it was like a fishbowl where mm-hmm. the People like the talent would get together, and a lot of talented people. It was in Chico, and um, they would make these bands, and you know, build it up over a year or two, and be the biggest band in Chico. But nobody wanted to go outside of the fishbowl, mm. and so any project that I worked on kind of butted into that same ceiling of, oh no, this is where we break the band up and everybody does something new, and, and it's just like that's this is crazy. Yeah, that's kind of insane. So, you know, my wife knew that I wasn't 
excited about things when I was not on tour, when I wasn't recording. And she was just like, why don't we get somewhere where you are Mm. happier? And um, so we knew one person here, my friend Al McManus, who uh, grew up where I grew up. Mm. And like my dad was his music teacher. And um, he lived, he had lived here for a decade at the time. And he was always saying, Hey, come check out Nashville. Come check Mm -hmm. out Nashville. He's like, it's not just country. There's rock stuff here. So I was like, I, you know, I don't, I don't know country. It's not my world. And he's like, doesn't matter. He's like, even the new country, they want rock drummers. He's like, it's, it's a different thing. Come check it out. So we came and, and, uh, Bless his wife's heart, because I don't think she knew that we were coming, and he had had us staying with him for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so um, my wife and my kids and, and me, we come and we just stay with them for two weeks, and we start going around the city and like, all right, is this somewhere that we can be? Mm-hmm. Um, is this somewhere where we want to live? And we were just kind of looking around, and we couldn't find anything that felt right, and we finally ventured out to Franklin yeah. about a weekend and we drove in from like Franklin road down into the circle in town. And my wife and I both kind of looked at each other and we're like, what is this? Yeah. You know, it, it was just like this. It looked like the town that she grew up in mm-hmm. dropped in the middle of Tennessee. Yeah. And so we really fell in love with Franklin and we started to <clears throat> look at places around here. And my, um, one of my previous bands, Face to Face, the singer and his wife had moved here about two years before we did. Mm-hmm. And she had gotten her real estate license just because she's a wonderful personality. And, you know, when they bought their house, their agent was like, you would be great at this. So she had just gotten oh, her wow. license and she's like, I don't even care. I'll show you houses. What do you want to do? And she found this house. Yeah. You know, and so we kind of walked in and saw you know, it had what my wife wanted and then saw the basement space where we could put the studio in, which was what I wanted. And right. just, you know, yeah. just made sense. It's so funny when, when my wife and I found the house, the, the two different houses that we've had, all I remember the first time I saw it was what the basement looked like. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> that was it. Like we would go look at these houses and she would go up to see what the kids' bedrooms were like. And I was in the basement listening exactly. to see like, <laughs> can I, can I put a studio in here? And that was it. And so even when we got into this house, like we kind of felt it when we walked in the front door, cause it was the model home of the neighborhood and they were done with it. Oh, and, so, okay. and we walked in like the day they were about to put it on the market and they're like, we have to move this thing now. Like we're starting the next phase in this development, make an offer. And, you know, she went upstairs and I came down here and saw this and we kind of both met upstairs and said, okay. And we were going back to California the next day. Like this was our last day. Okay. And so we went back to my friend's house for the night. And the next morning we came to look at it one more time on the way to the airport and, you know, made an offer and, and, you know, just go. Hey, where you live when you're not in the studio or on the road is so important. That environment, especially if you're in a position where you have a desire to to have a family, yeah, and find the schools and and do all those things that and and your partner is happy with where they are and what that that's just that's just what's so necessary to keep that balance. And that and that was the idea. You know, I had we were either going to move back to LA where I had already lived or to Nashville. Like Mm -hmm. those were kind of our options. Mm -hmm. And I, I wasn't, I'm fine with LA. Like I lived there, but to me, that's kind of like a single person's town. And I didn't want my kids to, to be there. Like, I just thought I want more space for them. I want like, um, 
gentler environment sure. for my daughters. And when we came here and saw all the different opportunities that there there were for them, it just made sense. And my right. band was totally cool about it. They're like, oh, it's, well, you fly down from there, you fly over from there, you know. It's extra right. travel for you, but we don't care. Like they're, That's great. They're and I've best, heard that so, yeah. in situations, even artists here in Nashville, people move back to their hometown and kind of essentially commute, but they're flying or they're going wherever anyways, so mm-hmm. why not? Yeah. So it has, it, has it been what you want it to be? From your perspective, musically, drumming-wise, yeah, for me, it's there's just a there's a community here that which I wasn't used to either in LA or up north, where especially the drummers here, like everybody just comes mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. So when we were visiting here, um, my friend who I lived with, he worked for a management firm, and so he set up some meetings for me with people like meet this guitar player, go talk to this manager, meet this you know, crew person, drummer, you know, here's another Mm -hmm. guy. And it was all, you know, whether it was somebody from a small thing or a big time touring act, everyone took my call. Everyone met me for coffee or lunch or whatever. There was a dozen people between him and my other friend who's like a world famous guitar tech. Mm -hmm. They set me up with as many people as possible that I could see in less than two weeks. And every person across the board took my call. Absolutely. I will meet with you. And I was like, what is this place? Yeah, yeah. Because in LA, forget it. Mm. You know, you're so this connection back. you said who was a guitar tech? Yeah, friend? my friend Takumi is like he worked for Prince for years. Mm. Uh, Angus with ACDC, he's Jeez. just like guitar tech dude to the stars. But we've mm-hmm. been best friends for twenty three years. Now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's, you know, we're like an old married couple. <laughs> and uh, so he was just like, yeah, you're gonna go to Nashville. We'll hear, you know meet my friend that, you know, plays for these guys. And, you know, and one person they put me in touch with, this guitarist, Chris Locke, I met with him and we're having lunch and he says, man, you should, you shouldn't be talking to me. You should talk to some drummers. He got on his phone and called up um, Kevin Murphy. Yeah. Who then grabbed Miles McPherson and a couple other guys. And they showed up within 10 minutes to come and meet me and talk to me about how everything is. So I'm just sitting there like, like, what's the catch here? Like, what is this place? And they were all, you know, Kevin's like, wow, you're already in a band. You're, you, you have work You're He's like, you're just, you know, moving here, like planning for the future. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, that's smart. He's like, welcome, welcome to the, welcome to the family. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. he's like, that's how it works here. We all, we all take care of each other. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and he's been, you know, nothing but awesome to me for five years. Like he is just, the sweetest. I keep trying to get him out here to the studio, but uh, he's he's always gone as well. So when right, we, right when we can meet up at least for coffee or something, it's always yeah. a treat. Yeah, but yeah, they they really just kind of welcomed me in like that day, and I was like, I came back to my wife later, and I'm like, this place is crazy. Mm-hmm. Like I just met all these guys, and they're all you know working, and I I'd, I'd never been around that sort of scene before you know, where everybody's subbing for everybody and hopping on and off gigs. Mm-hmm. Cause in the rock world, it really doesn't work like that. Like right. you put a band together and it's important to keep that band together. Right. Like it matters if all of a sudden on this tour, you have a different drummer or a guitar player, or bass player. Like it's kind of like, Hey, what's, what's wrong with your band? What's going on? Like, yeah. Yeah. It's bad yeah. for business. So yeah. it was, so it was eye opening for me to see the way that things worked here because it yeah. wasn't what I was used to. Right, right, and uh, it's interesting. Um, 
Kevin and I were texting last week about maybe doing some sort of a, sort of a roundtable thing mm-hmm. with this, and I'm thinking maybe as tours are ending, maybe we'll try and it's that time of year. Yeah. yeah, it might be a good opportunity to put a couple um, very opinionated, uh, easily you know guys that are just very open about things, put them in a roundtable, and and I told him I said I'm just going to turn the mic on and walk out of the room and let you guys go. Yeah, make <laughs> so. sure you got enough space on your recorder. <laughs> <That laughs> Maybe make it all day. Multiple things. Um, well, I wanted to ask you about. Um, actually, let's let's go back to MI if we could. Sure. Yeah. Um, your experience there. Um, one of the things uh, when I was reading your bio on your website, which is great, it's laid out really nice, is um, you had this passion. And there's times that we talk about tapping into that passion that we had when we were 16, 17 years old. Mm-hmm. As you navigate all that life is going to throw at you, and you're still trying to maintain just just a level-headedness about you to get the job done and and all the people around you that make sacrifices so you can be a musician you can be a drummer in this you know in this business and sometimes you have to tap into that type that person that you were when you were 16 17 years old to remind you why you put yourself and all your loved ones through this. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, and that's true. I, I like that you say you have to go back and tap into that because you do. Mm-hmm. You can get burned out. Yeah, you know, like oh, I'm. I just played a festival for sixty thousand people. Man, sixteen year old me was stoked, but yeah, you know, forty year old me is, and my back hurts <laughs> and I'm tired and I haven't seen my kids in three weeks. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah. So you have to kind of go back and go, but. This is mm-hmm. what I worked for. This is what, what I always wanted to do. I am lucky and fortunate to be doing it. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. And and you had that passion when you moved from upstate New York. Dude, yeah. Out to the West Coast. And it sounds like, to me, from what I read, it sustained you uh, through this learning period. So can you tell me about the player you were when you got to MI and what happened during that time that prepared you to be the professional player that you are now? Yeah, I came from a little town in upstate New York called Arkport. Mm -hmm. Um, It's about an hour south of Rochester. And so I moved to LA and went to MI kind of of by accident, like everything's happening by accident. (laughs) I didn't have any other plan. I wanted to be a drummer and I had seen this other drummer in the area who's a good friend of mine now, uh, Mick, but I had never heard of him. And a, my friend dragged me to see his band one night and I'd never seen anybody play like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, w- I'd, I don't know if I had some kind of mental block just growing up, but you're watching all these bands on MTV and you're like, oh, I can never play like that. Okay. And it's like, well, I didn't even try. And then here's this guy doing everything that all of these other people did. And I seriously had my mind blown. I went home the next day and started practicing. And I think I was 15. But you were already playing drums. Yeah. 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 Yeah, But I was awful. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I I could, I had good timing. I could hold a beat down and stuff, but I wasn't, everything was at 11 at all times. Everything was loud. You Mm -hmm. know, I'm a little tiny guy. So I was always chip on my shoulder playing as big as possible, but seeing how he played, then it was like, Oh, I need to, I need to learn. I need to get more into jazz. I need to have a better background in Mm. Latin. I need to, you know, 
my double bass drumming is terrible. You know, it, mm. it was just like, and I just went and started practicing. And as soon as you put that kind of focus on it, as soon as, as soon as that wall was removed in my brain of, I can never play like those guys. No, here's a guy from basically the next town over who does. And I came home and I said to my dad, I'm like, you have a drummer in your band? Because my dad taught at the next school over, which okay. was Hornell, which was the big city. There was ten or 15,000 people there. <laughs> you know, they had a football team. Okay. Um, and I'm like, you have a drummer in your, your band named Mick? And he's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, why, why have you never told me uh, about this? And he was just like, oh, well, you know, I, I didn't know. It didn't. He's like, I, I've never seen him play that. He plays, you know, it's a symphonic band. Sure, know, sure. And whatever. So <clears throat> me and Mick had become good friends. And long story short, he was going to MI, and he was a year ahead of me. So he went to MI, um, and he took six months and was like, because at the time, I don't know how it is anymore, because I know they sold the school a couple years after I got out, and they changed it. But okay. back in the day, it was just super intensive one year all straight all the way through performing arts school mm-hmm. like get in get out get what you need start working so he did the first six months and realized holy cow i need i need time to absorb this so he came back to new york for the summer mm-hmm. and just kind of like took a leave of absence and got talking with me so in the meantime i'm like well and i he was my idol after I saw him play. I'm like, oh, I got to do everything that he does. He's going to that school. I want to go to that school. So, yeah. you know, I sent in my audition, which was like something on a cassette. Yeah. Right. And you fill out some paperwork and, yeah. you know, got into the school. And so he was going back. And so we moved back to California together. So oh, wow. I just, I knew one person, him. Yeah. And uh, we just moved. So I went from 1,100 people to Hollywood. Yeah. And then spent the first three weeks there terrified of, of leaving the apartment. <laughs> Even walking like broad daylight the three blocks from our apartment down to MI and back, I was just like, oh, man, I'm going to get mugged. I'm like, this is crazy. But <laughs> once I relaxed a little bit and then I really yeah. enjoyed it and I just lived at the school. Like, at, you know, I would get up at 6 a.m. every day. So I would be in my practice room at 7 cool. and I would practice until 10 when the classes started wow and then you know go back after and through the evenings you're playing with groups of people putting little bands together and whatever so my goal was to get to bed at midnight get up at six oh my god go back and and do that every day but that i was not i was a okay player when mm-hmm. i got there mm-hmm. um and there was a couple teachers there fred dinkins being one of them especially he did my entrance exam and took a liking to me mm-hmm. for whatever reason and really kind of took me under his wing and cracked the whip on me and mm-hmm. and he was great he lif- lifted me up in a in a really positive way and mm-hmm. and joe Picaro was amazing now what was yeah. his t- i'm sorry the first guy you mentioned fred dinkins he's a gospel drummer okay so he's very r&b gospel guy gotcha and here i am with you know hair down to my hips and <laughs> And, you know, just nothing but dripping yeah. metal. And he was just like, all right, you, you got, he's like, we're going to, we're going to pull more. There's more to you than this. Which what was, was so his sweet. teaching style? I mean, you know, what, what was it about him that brought that out? I, I think it was just that he took an interest. Like there was, I was assigned a different instructor as my like once meet once a week mentor, private instructor guy. And okay. I, I won't mention who it was, but Fred asked, he's like, well, who's your private? And I'm, I told him and he was like, 
all right. He goes, that, that's just not going to work. I got, he goes, I have, he goes, go, go there. That's where you've been assigned. He's like, but I have time on this day where I'm going to see you as well, because I don't think that's going to be a good fit for you. And, and he was, he was just so great. And just out from the get go, yeah, just out of nowhere was yeah. just like, oh, all right, great. That's great. You know, I think he could see that I was overwhelmed mm-hmm. and kind of in over my head mm-hmm. in, a, in a new big city and for whatever reason took pity on me and, <laughs> you know, but really was wanting to make sure that I had a good experience. And and he liked that. Obviously, I was working hard and and putting all the effort in. And And it sounds like the style or maybe his – what he saw, your strengths and your interests were were maybe different than than his. I mean, I Mm -hmm. imagine he could cover so much ground. But at the same time, maybe his interests, he saw this like, okay, I can bring something new to the table. And maybe he brought something there that you didn't even think about? Yeah, I think so. I I think he was seeing me really exposed to all these different styles that Mm I didn't have a very good grip on. Like, I mean, I played in a a loosely jazz ensemble group Mm -hmm. as, like, backup drummer the last year that I was in New York. Mm -hmm. But it was very, like, I just learned how to play, you know, the ride cymbal and the hi-hat thing. Like, mm-hmm. that was new to me mm-hmm. uh, from a jazz standpoint. I just had never done it. Mm-hmm. And so I was really still just beginning to develop that and all the Latin drumming and stuff. But he saw that I could do it. My coordination was good. My independence was good. Yeah. So I think he saw that there was some raw material there gotcha. that he could work with. Sure, and sure. for whatever reason, he was just really excited to help me out. And yeah. he, was, he was awesome. I love him. I haven't seen him in a few years, but um, years later... I think about five years after I graduated, I was working at a rehearsal studio in North Hollywood, and he came through with a group. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we saw each other, and he was just like, man, how have you been? How's it going? Because this is, you know, mid-90s. There's no Facebook or MySpace or yeah, right. <laughs> you just even email. Like, you just didn't keep in touch with people like right, that. Right. And, uh, and he just said, he's like, man, because you went through that school at the right time. He was like, wow, after, great. you know, it was uh, everything kind of changed. And he's like, not necessarily for the for the worse, but he's like, I really feel like that was a magical time of people coming through that. School. Nice. So. Nice. Well, that's, that's fortunate. Yeah. So then after that, so that was the first <clears throat> kind of the start for that for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, I loved MI for me. It was just like, I, I don't want to sleep. I just want to be here all day. Like it mm-hmm. was being exposed to all these different things. And they had these things they would call live performance workshops all day long. You mm-hmm. just had a schedule like, oh, you can go in here. They're playing Purple Rain today. And then you'd have a little chart and you'd, you know, make mm-hmm. your way through. So it was you and the bass students and the vocalists and the guitar oh, students. And, the keyboards. and you were just thrown together in random bands and mm-hmm. get up and play. So mm-hmm. when they started adding more like rock and metal stuff, um, Ray Luzier was in charge mm-hmm. of the band that, of that. So he was the drummer on the Friday afternoon rock performance mm-hmm. workshops so that's where i met ray mm-hmm. and so you would go in and they'd put up like a couple songs and then all the the instructors would get up and play through it and then you just signed up and you were thrown up in random groups of people so mm-hmm. you know maybe everybody else worked really hard on the song and you didn't and it was a mess or maybe you worked really hard and the, the bass mm-hmm. player didn't know it and you know you kind of never knew what you got mm-hmm. but getting that sort of experience on a daily basis was yeah it was insane. And I think that was the best thing for me. Like I sat in, you know, every week they brought in a big band mm, and you'd wow. get, you'd, you know, you'd, you had a list of songs, you'd pick your chart, you'd work on it all week and you'd go in and, 
you know, mine was usually an unmitigated disaster, but <laughs> I was like, I'm going to do it anyway. You know, there's right. these guys from, I don't know, a couple of guys, all the Swedish guys were just shredders. Yes. Just it ridiculous. Is. true. They just came in. They never went to class. They would just show up and sight read all their tests, and they were partying like nobody's business. And they just, <laughs> they were just complete shredders. And I was like, man, like I'm eight hours a day in my little box working know, on this stuff, and they're just like with one hand eating an apple, you know. And you know, so you'd watch them go in, do their jazz workshop, and just blow the doors off the place. And they'd go to the metal thing and totally shred in there. And you're just like, oh, these guys. I don't know what it is, and, and you know, there's so many people that say, well, you know, it's there's the there's the music, there's educational system in these different countries, and now I'm seeing, I've met some Ukrainian musicians uh, in the last couple of years, and man, their jazz chops are insane, and their knowledge of American bebop is insane, and you're just like, what is going on? What's in the water? And it's, I I think it they're just exposed to this music for the first time and it's they see it as an important part of their education the uh, you know the country sees it as an important part of education and music and stuff and so now they're coming in and you're just like wait you know who these people are and you can play the shit out of it Mm -hmm. that's amazing yeah it was it was so nuts to meet all these people from different walks of life different countries and you're all in the same room you know they they had these Instead of sitting at a desk, they had these long tables with rubber tops that were just one big giant practice pad. And you just all sat in a row and they had, you know, there'd be a half hour sight reading class and you'd go in, they had an overhead projector and they'd turn the click on and they would slap a sheet on, count it off and you would just go and, you know, everyone's reading it down and supporting each other and laughing when it's too hard. Uh Like you'd get, you'd start feeling really good and they would slap something up that was changing time signature every bar and you're just like... Mm-hmm. You know, people falling out of their chair trying mm-hmm. to, to mm-hmm. keep up with it. But it was so much fun for me because mm-hmm. it was like you just keep trying and keep trying and you're exposed to it over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And it, it really did make sense there. Yeah. Um, the intensity of the school. I mean, and it was the quintessential example of you get out of it what you put into it. Right. Like if you showed up and you put in the work by the time you got out of there. You know, you had a lot to show for it. And, it, yeah. it, you know, that, that school changed my life entirely. That's and awesome. I, I did not have any idea that that was going to be like that. But And and then you met Ray there. I met Ray there. Chemicals. So about a month after, and I had done the same thing that my friend Mick did. I went for six months and then I said, all right, I actually had a weird lump show up in my arm and I went and got it taken out because, you know, they were like, we don't know what it is. And my arm reacted horribly to it, like just had a terrible, like swelled up like a football. Oh, and I'm like squeezing blood and pus out of it. And it was awful. So I couldn't play. And so I said, you know, I tried I tried to like go to classes for a month. And then I finally said, I'm going to take a leave of absence. I'm going to start the second half over in the fall. I'm going to go home. But I went, I stayed a couple weeks extra. And while I was there, the Rodney King riots happened. Mm-hmm. So I'm on... Uh, right off of Hollywood Boulevard behind the Chinese theater, mm-hmm. which was basically the firewall of that. And, and so I'm on the phone with my parents and, you know, tell my mom, oh, we're fine. It's nowhere near us. And, you know, like the street's on fire. But I'm like, what am, why am I going to upset them? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, she's watching the next day and sees the police lined around the Chinese theater. And she knows my apartment is right behind mm-hmm. that. And it was nuts. So I was like, all right, maybe I could have left a few weeks earlier. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I came back, finished the, my last 
my second half is six months. And by the end of it, me and Ray had become buddies and he needed a roommate. So, and I had just gotten a job mm. bussing tables at a restaurant down where he lived in West LA. So I moved in with him for three years. Wow. And, uh, so it was, it was fun. We just wrapped up touring for the year with offspring. Um, we pretty much been out since March Mm -hmm. Um, and I think my longest stretch at home in there was two weeks. Oh my gosh. Um, So we did five weeks in Europe. We did a bunch of us like weekend radio stuff in the spring, um, June, all of June and the beginning of July was Europe, uh, festivals and headlining shows over there. Um, then we did some Canada stuff. We went to Japan. We went to South America, um, I just got back from Alaska yeah. last weekend, which was cool. That was my 50th state. That was the one. I saw some pictures on Facebook. Yeah. I love it. It was crazy. Yeah. And Kevin Murphy, had he had just been there a month or two ago, mm-hmm. and I saw his little helicopter glacier adventure. Yeah, so I was like, right. hey, how'd you do that? So he introduced me to the same people, and uh, me and our guitar player, Noodles, went a day early and took the helicopter tour and landed on the glacier and flew around. It was awesome. It's amazing. What? Where were you in Alaska? In Anchorage. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've had a chance to be up there um, about four times, a couple times for the fair and a couple times on a, on a cruise that's ported through there. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's one of my favorite places. It was so insanely beautiful. And mm-hmm. it, it was just crazy. And j- just meeting the people up there who were so great and learning, you know, the different lifestyle up there, how, yeah. how things go, like for as large of a landmass as it is, it's like half a million people in the whole state. Yeah, and yeah. It's about yeah. a third of the size of the lower 48. Like, it's it's nuts. It's, how, it's just how beautiful yeah. and un, unpolluted and, un, you know, like right. everything there. Everybody's about nature, and it's, right. it's really, really cool. And they have great reindeer sausage. Oh, I didn't have any of that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Don't tell Santa, but reindeer <laughs> sausage is really good up there. Um on this tour, was there something that was unique about one of the shows that maybe you hadn't experienced before? Uh, maybe a, a really cool venue, or maybe something like this is this is ridiculous. You've never experienced before. Yeah, well, we. I mean, unfortunately, the the craziest experience of the whole summer was that we had two shows in a row in Germany completely washed out hmm. by uh, ridiculous storms. And they were big, you know, huge festivals out there, like 60, 70,000 people. But we pulled in, the crew had been there all day, loaded up. And so we pull into the first one. And right as we pull in, it's starting to get dark out. And we hear in Flogging Molly's on stage. And um, so we go in the dressing room. And all of a sudden, 10 minutes later, just, just out of nowhere, ridiculously heavy rainstorm hits. Lightning comes. They clear the whole festival. They get everyone off the stages. And we're just in this big you know, metal warehouse of a building in -hmm. in the midst of a crazy lightning rainstorm. Mm -hmm. So like immediately the whole field flooded out, like it Mm -hmm. rained so hard. And I, I think I, some, someone on the crew took a, a little video of how hard the wind was pulling and you can see it ripping the stage apart. That stuff's scary. It was scary. So, you know, we waited around for about two hours and they're like, no, we think it's going to clear. We think it's going to clear. We'll let everybody back in. We're going to let you play. And finally, they just said, it's not going to clear. You know, tonight's canceled. Move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. And so we drive to the next day, you know, and the crew had loaded out everything and got it all moved over. And they get to the next one. 
And from the night before, the back behind the stage looked like a lake. It was just nothing but water. Yeah. And so they had fire trucks in there pumping water out all day long. And the rain stopped, and they're like, it's going to be fine. Um, (laughs) We're cutting the schedule. It's just uh, Flogging Molly, Offspring, and Prodigy are going to play. We canceled everything else for the day, but we can get the three headliners on. Mm -hmm. I was like, all right, cool. We pull in. Looks all right. They pump the water out. Everything is set up. Starts to sprinkle. Mm. And we're like, okay. And then it starts to rain. And then it's the pond starts filling back up again. And they're like, we're going to hold doors. We're going to, we're going to bump it an hour. We think it'll pass. We're not going to let anybody in yet. Oh, we're going to wait, you know? And then it's like, okay, well now Floggy Molly's cut. Now it's just going to be offspring and prodigy. And we're waiting and mm-hmm. waiting. And meanwhile, it's just pouring oh my and gosh. the lake is filling up and you know, all the massive cables coming from the generators through the pond to the stage. Uh, yeah. and we're like, there's no way that this is happening. Yeah. And they finally just said, you know, we're out. So I'd never had shows like that get canceled because normally a festival like that, they expect bad weather. Yeah, and that's people true. that go, they're that's camped true. out for four days. They sure. expect it. But even looking in the, in the, where their cars are parked, it was so much mud that I was like, nobody's getting out of here until it dries up for a couple of days. Like they can't even go home. Wow. And, and for shows to be canceled with weather, I mean, that's not uncommon, but for two days in a row. Two days in a row, yeah. We'd never had anything like it. And that's I said, you know, because I've been with Offspring for 10 years, but they've been together, you know, 20 years longer than that. And since they were kids, and I was like, have you guys ever experienced this? And they were like, no, we've never had back-to-back, you know, act of God, nature, yeah, cancellations. Yeah. Like, it was yeah. just insane weather. That's true. Um, as far as your typical day getting to the gig and and can you talk a little bit about that and how does it differ from maybe a, a theater show compared to a festival um yeah i mean with the festival it's really as far as the band is concerned it's very throw and go you know like the crew is there all day mm-hmm. and they're loading in and you're you know backing up headliners loading in line checking but do you guys have a crew that works with you yeah we've got Mm -hmm. the best gang of people ever that just nice you know like i said rain snow the worst they get it done Mm -hmm. it's up everything's going and um so they make our lives easier and and you know the way we don't tend to sound check a lot Mm -hmm. um just because we've kind of got our set together and nobody won't we don't always want to juggle back and forth from a hotel to the venue all day. Sure. And, and if you're running ears, <clears throat> yeah. then that levels the playing field. Yeah, we're carrying our own digital monitor board, so everything's pretty close. I mean, you still make adjustments due to the room or the stage or, mm-hmm. or whatever every day. But, you know, our crew is so great that we know they're line checking. They know it's right. So when we show up, we don't have to worry about it. Which for me, you know, I remember doing tours with face to face and saves the day and sound checking every day. And, you know, you're rolling off the bus, you're not warmed up, mm-hmm. you're dehydrated. So three weeks into a 10 week tour, I don't want to sound check anymore because it's painful. Like it hurts. I don't have an hour to warm up mm-hmm. to play through these songs or this club is freezing mm-hmm. and I just woke right. up and right. you yeah. know I'm doing damage to myself. So for me, it's like, okay, cool. We don't, yeah, unless we're adding, you know, different songs in, or we might pull out something really old that we've never played in a while, especially when we do headlining shows, we like to pull out something rare oh, okay. for the people yeah, that yeah. come. Cause the band has also got such a list of hits that it's sometimes it's tough to, I mean, it's a great problem to have. Sure. I mean, to be, you know, weird about it, but 
there's a certain number of songs that need to be in the set for people to right. be happy, and we only have a certain amount of time that we can play. So we try to cram in as many songs as possible. So in a theater show where you're the headliner, there's yeah. going to be those opportunities, and maybe a sound check would be more... Right. And yeah, at that point, then it's like, hey, we're going to play something off of the second album we've never done. Everybody brush up on it. We'll come in and run through it. Okay, cool. We got it. Fine. Yeah. But everybody, you know, everybody really has it together. So it's it's such it's a cool group where there's really there's no drama hmm. uh, you know if if somebody needs something they just talk to you about it mm-hmm. it was just for me i you know in certain experiences i've had before very passive aggressive what is this person thinking why are they acting like this yeah that's not how this goes and i, I think it's a testament to um the other three guys having been together since the beginning okay so they're the original guys yeah. dexter and greg um and noodles all you know, start. I mean, Dexter and Greg started the band. Noodles came in very soon after, uh-huh. and they've been together, you know, ever since. So they were like in high school. That is amazing. That is amazing. When I got out of MI in '94, I, uh, my dad's good friend in upstate New York, his daughter ran a restaurant in Beverly Hills, mm. and so they called in a favor. Hey, can you give him a job? You know. <laughs> And she's like, yeah, he can be a busboy. And I was like, fine. So I went and I bus tables yeah. for, it was the kind of job where I should have left after two weeks, but I stayed for a year and a half. Cause it just like, I don't know if it was the Catholic upbringing of just, you know, punishment <laughs> and guilt, but it, you know, I was so, I mean, it was 19 and was just so like, I got to pay my dues. I got, this isn't going to be easy. And you know, my dad, both my parents were very, very cool like kind of confused and but supportive of what I wanted to do but you know he said he's like you you're gonna have to do what you can to get Mm -hmm. by until Mm -hmm. you know you get your foot in the door and doing stuff right so you know make sure that you're ready to work that hard for it and I was like I am and yeah so you know I did this job and and uh it was it was not great, you know. Were you it, playing at all? I, yeah, I had, so I had um, Ray. I just moved in with Ray, mm-hmm. and he was kicking me down stuff that he didn't have time for. Mm-hmm. And he was probably juggling five, six different projects at any time, you know, mm-hmm. waiting. And that's what you did in yeah. L.A. as a drummer. Like, I got an iron and all these fires. As soon as one takes off, I'm gone. Right. And so he had kicked me down a local band, and I worked with them for a while, and a couple different things that he was like, oh, well, meet this guy. Oh, this mm-hmm. and that. So one of them um, did not work out. I was not a, the right fit for their band, but the guy was great. And he was like, hey, they were worked at, or they were rehearsing at this studio in North Hollywood that was owned by Mark Zonder, who's the drummer for Fate's Warning. Yeah, he's playing yeah. Grand Bonnet now. Just uh-huh. phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. Gosh, yeah. But he owned this rehearsal place. And uh-huh. so the guy in this band was like, Obviously, this isn't working out, but Mark uh, is really cool, and he'll probably let you store your drums here and practice on when there's empty rooms if you want to come in and clean the studio once a week. So I met Mark, and that's what I did. I started. So when I wasn't bussing tables, right. I would go out to North Hollywood, and I would you know spend an afternoon you know, hosing out garbage cans, cleaning the bathroom, vacuuming the floors, you know, wrapping cables, putting, making sure everything was nice. And then I would load my drums out of the storage, set up for a few hours and practice and then oh, put them back great. and drive yeah. back to their side of town. So so me and Mark got along really well. And he was really a, a huge influence on me just even 
as a drummer and just, you know, helping me get started. Like he was just really cool of like, oh, all right, you're a hardworking kid. I like you. And so then he was like, hey, do you want to start instead of just cleaning? Do you want to work some shifts like managing the studio? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I took like the weekend shifts from, you know, six to midnight mm-hmm. out there, you know, just being on call, setting up PAs and, mm-hmm. you know, um, and then he moved into a, a new building a couple of years later and then I took over the whole operation. So wow. I worked for Mark from, I guess I was still busting tables yeah, when I worked there. So probably from 94, 95 until 98. Um, and I, so I had just been playing in local bands and my, um, okay. so Ray had kicked down a few things and there was a band, a metal band that I really liked, um, that he had played on. And so I, uh, he kind of kicked it down to me, come to find out the singer from that band grew up 40 minutes from me in upstate New York. And, you know, like our schools played soccer against each other. And, mm-hmm. and through that, I met my friend Vince uh, who was the bass player, and he now plays for Body Count with Ice T, and he played in Prong. Okay, he's just fantastic. So we were fast friends, and through him, I met my friend Takumi, who was working for Fate's Warning, who's the guitar tech. And so now, like the the three of us are just yeah. like you know twenty plus years of yeah. best friends, and we all ended up in Japan together in the fall. Um, we did Summer Sonic Festival and I took my family over and they kind of came out to work on the tour that weekend just so we could all be together. Oh, that's it was awesome. really, really that's cool. Awesome. Yeah. But you know, it sounds like when you started working at the studio and, and maybe even at the restaurant, people are recognizing this like work ethic that you brought. And so, you know what, I'm going to help you out. Yeah. You're taking things seriously, even if it's wrapping cables and cleaning trash cans. So... Uh, that's great. Yeah, the first time I showed up to meet Mark Zonder to scrub toilets and, and empty garbage cans, I was 10 minutes early. Like, I was waiting for him when he showed up, and he's like, oh, you're on time. Like, kind of, like, pleasantly surprised. And yeah. And I was like, and I didn't realize that that there was a thing in L.A. where people were just late or flaky or, like, that, that didn't yeah. compute with me because I was always right. like, got to be on time, got to be early. Yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, I think it, it speaks to kind of your personality or maybe something that uh, is important to understand when you want to reach a certain point in your career. We have to go through this other, you know, it, you have to uh, start somewhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's not the funnest part. It's not building a career at the bottom. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But you have to take it seriously. And sometimes those little gestures, um, aren't lost on the people that are going to be instrumental in getting you to the next level. Yeah. So taking it seriously. And that's, that's cool. Yeah. And that that was the thing. Like I've been really fortunate, like through teachers at MI or Mark Sonder or Ray Luzier or these people going, I like this kid. Like he's, he's really, genuine and hardworking and Mm -hmm. I want to help him. So, you know, by, by their generosity, I've been able to grow just from the opportunities that were given. And when working at the music or the rehearsal studio, then I started meeting everybody. Mm -hmm. So then like bands are rolling through all the time Mm -hmm. and you meet people and then, you know, then your, your problem there is to not get pegged as the kid that parks the cars you want people to know that, oh, well, he plays drums, too. Yeah, so how did you so, do that? How did you make that um, I would, I, I would 
basically when I was working, I would take whatever room was empty and I had my drum set up in there and I would put a sign on the, on the office door that was like, if you need something, I'm in room six, come, come get me. And so people could hear me playing up and down the hall and they would walk in and be like, Oh wow. I didn't, didn't know you played. Oh yeah. I play drums, you know? And you just kind of had to let people know. And, mm-hmm. you know, through the rehearsal studio, I met uh, John Tempesta mm-hmm. when he had just started playing with white zombie. This Interesting. Was, you know, before it was the Rob Zombie band, it was the original thing. So he had just left Testament to do White Zombie, and then John Deddy was around, who John Tempesta gave the Testament gig to. So it was like everything was sort of yeah. rolling around. But John was really, um, again, just the sweetest, nicest guy. And uh, when when I did get the face to face gig, I didn't really have any nice drums to record with, and so he called Tama and he said, "Hey." give this kid some drums, he's making a record. And so that was my introduction to Tama yeah. was through John. Yeah. And he was like, man, your cymbals are terrible. Here, take these. Have some cymbals. <laughs> and even even my relationship with Zildjian started from Mark Zonder and Vader. All mm. came from Mark Zonder. Wow. Because Face to Face was going on tour. I had tried to get, a friend of mine tried to hook me up with a, a different cymbal company that went, horribly wrong in, a, in the span of a day mm. and we were leaving on tour in two days and mark called and he's like why are you having that much trouble he called kirsten at zildjian and said hey can you help out this guy he just got a, a gig they're going on tour mm-hmm. so i go in there and she's got just a stack of used symbols and whatever she didn't know me never met me here you go take these i'm like you know what do i owe you and she's like nothing you're fine she goes you know what how long's your tour? I'm like, like eight weeks. She goes, you're probably going to break a couple of those here. Take these. Oh my God. Throw some more on the pile. And I'm just like, what in the heck is going on? Yeah. And yeah. that, but that was my introduction to Zildjian and me and Kirsten are great friends. And for years there, I just kind of had that handshake deal. Like I'd bring something back broken. She'd be like, here, okay, cool. Like that, yeah. that's how it worked. And the same, same with Vader. Mark had right. used, I, I still play the same stick that Mark used, you know, 20 years ago, the session model mm-hmm. would tip because he got sticks and I didn't have money for sticks. So he would just be like, here, take some sticks, take some sticks. So I got so used to that model mm-hmm. that I still play it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you need that help. And that's, you know. a, yeah. I mean, I, I feel that way too. Like now if somebody needs help, I try to to do mm-hmm. what I can for anybody because you people, remember. people did that for me. Yeah. You know? yeah Nobody incredible. had to answer the phone or, or make a call and go, can you help him out? Hey, mm-hmm. he needs some drums. Mm-hmm. He needs some cymbals. Um, hey, you know what? This might be a good gig for you. Like, yeah, weird, weird stuff comes along because people took the time to go. I, I can, I can help. Okay, and I will. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So, how did the how did the face to face thing come come about? Face to face thing was in, I guess it was the end of, yeah, beginning of ninety eight. Um, uh, my friend Takumi, the guitar tech, his buddy was tour managing face to face and they were rehearsing at Bill's place where I, at the rehearsal studio. Mm-hmm. And so, and I didn't know anything about punk rock. Mm. Uh, so I'm still just metal guy. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're auditioning drummers and I didn't think anything of it. Cause I'm like, that's not my world. It's not my gig. So they grabbed a guy, went out on a, a short tour and I knew the tour manager barely. And he mm. called me up about, two days into the tour because he wasn't there for the rehearsals he didn't or the auditions he didn't understand what was happening he was just brought in okay for the tour and gotcha. he's like he's like what is your problem i'm like i don't know what's my problem he's like these guys were auditioning people right under your nose and you didn't even go out for it and i'm like 
I don't play punk rock. I don't know anything about it. And he's like, they don't want a punk rock drummer. They want a rock drummer. They're making a, they're going to make a weird record. They're sick of punk rock. This guy they have is great, but he's not what they're looking for. They're going, doing another round of auditions at when this tour is over in a few weeks, they're coming back in there. I'm going to get you in. And I'm like, all right, cool. So they come in and they had done the cattle call of all time. Like, and I'm there for every day of it, parking cars, scrubbing toilets, you know, <laughs> right, right. moving stuff around. And there's like 50 people coming through Jeez. in the span of a week. And I'm like at the last of the list, yeah. of course, because I'm viewed as the kid that parks the cars and scrubs the toilets. <laughs> so I'm listening to all these people come in and I'm like, oh, I don't know, I, you know, what's the problem? They're all, you know, got green mohawks and ink running down their face and trying really hard, but they weren't, they didn't want that. They were so against that. So I'm watching all this go down. And meanwhile, they had come off the road, loaded their stuff back in their room. So I go in their room at night, stole the uh, CD out of their box of their live record. And I went and learned the whole thing. Wow. So I'm like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to know what's going on. So they gave everybody like always two songs to learn. Like one punky fast song and one slower rock song. So they could get a, a feel sure. for it. And so we get in there and they've gone through all these guys and I'm, you know, listening to the singer on the payphone in the back. Cause this is 98. They're still payphones, Right. <laughs> and he's on the phone with their manager and he's just like, no, 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 we haven't found anybody. We're still looking. This is, this is the sucks. I, I hate doing this. And, yeah. you know, meanwhile, I'm, I'm, I'm in the room down the hall learning their whole record. And so I finally get brought in and they're like, I could see it on their faces too. They're like, Oh, good. Now we're scraping the bottom of the barrel. The, the <laughs> kid that we see every day yeah. parking the cars wants to play drums. Great. <laughs> so, like, uh, already the expectations are pretty low. Yeah. And um, so we go through one song, and we get to the end, and the guitar player stops and looks at me, and he's like, it, it kind of the same as the tour manager. Like, what, what is the matter with you? And I'm just like, what did I do? Was that, was that bad? And he's like, you made us sit here all week going through all these people and you knew you were going to come in here and do this. And they're like, this is nuts. And they're like, well, let's play something else. I'm like, aren't you, are you guys have to be sick of these two songs? And they're like, do you know anything else? I'm like, I know your whole live record. So then he just tore into another song and I jumped in and we played through that. Yeah. And then we, it just kind of rolled from there. So yeah. by the end of the day, it was just like, all right. And then they threw a couple like, well, what would you do with a song like this? We've got, and it was mm -hmm. very Foo Fighters, more straight ahead rock stuff. And I was like, oh, well, that's, that's my wheelhouse. I got that. Yeah, right, right, right. So that was that, yeah, that was May of 98. And then we, you know, spent all summer writing and recording this record. But for them, they had, they were on A&M at the time and they had just come off their third album. I think it had sold about 200,000 copies and they were on the cusp, like, mm. And but they are also burnt out and wanted to try something different. So they they did what I now call the fourth album uh, departure. Okay, where you kind of you're trying to grasp a new audience, but in the process you leave your old audience behind. Yeah, and if you don't jump to that new one, you know, like Metallica's Black Album could have been a disaster. But they gained a new audience, even right. if they upset. A lot of their right, core the fans. core base, yeah. but that's pretty rare because usually it goes how ours went, which was just entirely alienated the audience. And I think it's a great record. I mean, I'm really proud of my drumming on it. It was the first real record I had made, mm -hmm. um, and but it was it was definitely like a it hurt the band really bad. So, so we we went back in. 
I think we were only on tour for that album for like two months, and we just said, now we gotta we gotta go back and fix this. So we went in to kind of write something more punk rock, and at the time we were doing that, uh, my friend Pat Lockman, who's a guitar player that I'd known since my metal days and mm-hmm. early in L.A., he was working for Rob Halford from Judas Priest, and they were going to rehearse at Bill's place where okay. we rehearsed, and I yes. was still kind of working here and there, and so. He's like, hey, we need a drummer. We're writing a solo record for Rob. Do you want in on this? And I was like, yes. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, I do. So the, he comes in, and I just had my little four-piece punk rock kit, yeah. you know, which at the time was super tiny, a little 20-inch kick. Like, uh-huh. you know, and So we're set up. And so Rob comes in to the first day of rehearsal, and he looks at my drum set. He's like, is that your whole drum set? And I'm just like... <laughs> Yes, already shaking because like I grew up Judas Priest was just like oh my god like my heroes right yeah so here's this dude who I've looked up to my whole life and he comes in he's like is that your whole kit and I was like yeah he's like that seems kind of small and I was like I think we'll be okay and then we played through one of the songs and he was like yep that'll do nice and then so we really kind of for a while got him off of the everything's got to be double bass drums and, uh-huh. and this. And we wrote some really interesting stuff for that record. Awesome. And the, and he was the sweetest guy. Like the first day when, you know, we play for a couple hours and he'd be like, all right, let's go to subway. <laughs> then we're just going to subway with Rob Helford. <laughs> we, it was Halloween. We carved pumpkins. Like I've got pictures of us. He's just, you know, I want to carve pumpkins today. All right, let's carve pumpkins today. Yes. But what was the, what was it? What was it like? What was the pumpkin like that he carved? Was uh, it like a happy face? Was it? No, but uh, <laughs> we had a little contest and I lost. Mine was too conventional. And the, I think the other guitar player had carved a cross in the forehead of his and cut it out and then stabbed it into the top of the pumpkin upside down. I was like, yeah, that one wins. <laughs> but yeah, so I would go to the studio uh, every day at like 10 or 11 in the morning and I'd work with Rob Halford for four or five hours and then go grab some lunch and face-to-face guys come in and then we're writing from, you know, four until nine at night. Jeez. And then that was kind of every day, but it was, I could see it coming that there was a, a collision of schedules where we were all scheduled to go in the studio at the same time. Mm. And, you know, looking back, maybe I should have been like, Oh, I got to do this. But it was like, this is my band. I'm, I've got to put my focus here. And I told Rob, I'm like, I'm not gonna be able to do the whole record. Like mm-hmm. it's just, it's clashing. And he, you know, he really, he was kind of bummed and I was kind of bummed, but it was just like, um, it just couldn't work. Mm-hmm. It, it, I physically couldn't be in two places and, mm. and do it. So they brought in um, Bobby Jerzombek, who's phenomenal. He's, mm. He plays for Fate's Warning now, and he's okay. just complete shredding, and he was perfect for that gig. Okay. He brought a lot more of the double bass drums back in that, <laughs> I, that I had taken out. But there's a couple songs on there that, and Pat even said, he's like, we got in the studio, and Rob was like, play it like Pete did on the demo. Just oh, play it cool. straight, leave some yeah. space. Sure. So we you know, went in and did a face-to-face record. They're recording their thing. And I got a call about two months later, and it was Rob. And he said, hey, I really want you to be on this record. I liked working with you. And um, he's like, I, w- I want there to be something to show for it. He's like, I have one more song. It's a duet with Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden. Mm. Can you come in and play on that? And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, yes. <laughs> so I go back in, and he's got this one song. And, um, you know, we tracked the drums in a couple hours and it, and it was done. And it's still one of the, my favorite things I did. I'm like, here, I'm on a song with the two guys I grew up 
right. worshiping as metal singers. And, but there was no pre-production. It was go in, learn yeah, the song. Like, and just, yeah. yeah, I think they, you know, I went in and they were like, here's the song. Yeah. You know, or someone brought me a, a CD of it, like of a demo of it, you know, the okay. day before Pat or somebody. And yeah. And uh, yeah, we just went in and, and knocked it out. That's but awesome, it was like man. really cool to be like, all right, cool. My name's on the record. Like I did this. This is a funny story. We did a face to face tour was ending with we were playing on Tony Hawk's skateboarding arena tour thing and they mm-hmm. would get bands and all the bands did like two or three shows. Mm-hmm. So we we're in Texas, but my saves the day tour was starting in Pennsylvania. So for the last show of Tony Hawk tour, they had shipped my drums to Pennsylvania and we had rental gear in Texas mm-hmm. and, um, and it's already not a music promoter show. It's a extreme sports promoter show. Okay. So they don't know. Sure music stuff so this drum set shows up and it is colossally falling apart <laughs> and it was basically well my friend knew this guy who knew this guy who knew this guy who had some drums in his garage yeah exactly but the best part i was like all right i can work with this you know we're playing for 30 minutes it'll be fine yeah the drum throne on it <laughs> was a regular stand but the top was a racing bicycle seat <laughs> one of those super hard ones that goes way out to a point in the front. What? And that was, that was what I had to sit on. I was like, Oh my God. So I had to turn it around backwards to put the, the, fatter, wider, the fatter side forward. And I just kind of coasted on it the best I could to get through those oh shows. But that's gosh. how it was going. It was like one tour was ending and I met those guys cause they had opened for face to face a lot. And okay. they needed a drummer once when, um, it was the launch of the first Xbox and they were playing a launch party at universal studios and their drummer had just quit. Mm. And so they're like, Hey, can you come in? I'm like, yeah. So I learned their record and I go play with them. And we had a really good experience. I was like, Oh, this, this makes sense. This mm-hmm. fits. Mm-hmm. And face to face was always in some sort of, yeah, we might be done. Mm. And then it'd be like, Nope, we're going to do one more record. So, you know, the previous year I had played for this band alkaline trio and we went out opening for blink 182 but then, because I and we thought face to face was going to be done, and then it was like, no, we're making a new record. All right, sorry, I got to go back. Okay. And so when the saves a day thing came around, it was just sort of like, no, I'm not going to ditch out on this. This feels right for me, and we had the same management, same record company. So I was like, we're just going to schedule around. I'm going to do both. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so there, you know, there were times in the middle of a saves a day tour, they blocked off three days because face to face had a show in Hawaii. So I like flying from Texas to Hawaii, playing the show, flying to new Orleans, meet back up with that tour and keep going, you know? And then, you know, in the studio with one band or the other. And it was crazy, but I, I loved it because it was like, I'm working, I'm always playing. Right. Right. And they were, they weren't the same band. So I got to do the really gnarly fast punk rock stuff with face to face Mm -hmm. and saves the day was moving more in a, Mm -hmm more of a rock direction. So I had, I had to explore some different styles mm-hmm. over on that side of things. So I was really happy creatively mm-hmm. um, for, you know, for a time doing, doing all that. The, the physical toll that a lot of this takes traveling mm-hmm. and just playing drums, no matter what style is insane, yep. but the type of music that you were playing and you just mentioned the fast punk stuff. Mm-hmm. That I just I just kind of wonder that's that's not anything that I've really done a lot of. 
Um, but there's aches and pains you deal with, <laughs> especially as you get older. Is there anything that you do to keep yourself in shape? Uh, maybe during that time, or was it just like you were young enough to be able to just put your time, body through the I abuse? I was young enough. Yeah, I had one one point where I had popped a rib out on a flight going from one tour to the, to the other and, and back and had to play for a couple of days in a lot of pain until we got to somewhere in Atlanta and our friend's band brother was a chiropractor and he came out to the show and popped it back in for wow. me. And, uh, and then we had that happen two years ago again. With Offspring did a tour of Bad Religion, and Bad Religion traveled with a masseuse because that's they're just like, hey man, we've been sure. doing this forever, and right. and uh, both my guitar player Noodles and myself had popped out ribs on that tour, and she's just popping them back in all over the place, and you just, you know, so I think back then though, for the most part, you know, you're in your late twenties, and yeah. everything's cool and easy right right um, you can do that you can yeah do that. i i probably could take much better care of myself uh, uh, on tour and stuff my wife is always on me to drink more water yeah i'm like I, I just never have enough water and i think probably if i got up my water intake i would be better but right for me as long as if we're, if we're on a long tour you get into a rhythm and you get into a flow of it so it's not yeah. Yeah. as taxing as Doing the weekend warrior thing, where you know, sure, off and on. Well, I mean, is there anything now that you do? Uh, maybe, maybe like before a performance. I always, uh, I will warm up for an hour before we play, no matter what. And Just, what is it that you do? Uh, honestly, I tap on my leg with sticks. I have a callus on my right thigh, up towards my kneecap, and you know, if I play on my left leg, it hurts really badly. But I've been doing it so long on my right. That I don't feel anything, and I don't get a lot of response out of it. Yeah. But I'm not carrying a practice pad around. I'm never. It's never like, oh, I can't warm up because I don't have all these things. I've yeah. always got my leg. Yeah. So I grab a pair of sticks and I'm just, you know, stretching yeah. uh, my wrists. Uh, you know, getting make sure my forearms are stretched because otherwise, you know, once you lose that, you lose your hands. Right. And then you're gripping like baseball bats and just hoping you get through the show. Right. And right. That's the worst feeling. So. Mostly I just warm up like that and try to get in my own headspace of, you know, I'll look at the set list for the day while I'm warming up and go over it in my head like, all right, cool, that's going to go there, that's going to transition, they have to mm -hmm. change guitars there, you know, mm -hmm. just so I know the lay of the land mm -hmm. of how that night's going to mm -hmm. go. And really just mostly trying to get in my own headspace, mm -hmm. get into, you know, not get into character so much as just getting in that space where I'm focused and you know I'll if I have guests at a show I, I really encourage them to go watch the band that plays before us so you know that yes you know, like yes. by the time they're on I'm warming up and I don't have I'm not um right you right know, come back after I'll, I'll we'll hang out but I'm I'm the same yeah. way yeah I it's it's great when when you have friends and family and and but sometimes there's this there's this thing and you're just like I need that space there's yeah. this there's this you know, kind of get into my head. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm getting ready to, for yeah. lack of a better term, I'm getting ready to go to work. Right. And I need to do my job well. Right. And yeah. this is part of me yeah. being able to do that. So, do you have you ever seen like an opportunity to, to market your leg as a practice pad? You know, the Pete Parada, <laughs> If I could mold right? my leg, I don't think anyone else would enjoy it. Um, it's, There's it's no response. Not it's always even there. A, yeah, and I got short, stubby legs, so it's probably in a little close to my body for most people. <laughs> The day we were leaving, or the night before, so we had just found this house. We we're in Nashville. Yeah. And um, we're 
getting ready the next morning. We're going to look at it again and fly home to California. And I get a phone call that night at my friend's house. And uh, it's my friend, the guitar tech. And he was in Europe sitting next to his, his buddy who was a tour manager. And the guy was like, you know, they met up in a bar and just saw each other by happenstance, hmm. again, by accident. And right. he said, and Kimmy's like, what's going on? And he's like, ah, I'm, in, I'm in trouble with this gig because we've got a scheduling problem because um, Josh Freeze is Devo's main drummer. Mm-hmm. And then Jeff Friedel is his backup drummer. Mm-hmm. And so they always have someone there. And, um, but Josh was doing Weezer at the time. So he prioritized that. Then he couldn't do his perfect circle gig, which so he had Jeff do his perfect circle gig. Now Devo had nobody. Oh wow! And this guy's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. We we got these five shows, and we're probably going to have to cancel them. And Kimmy's like, No, call call Pete. He'll do it. And the guy's like, Do you think he'll do it? And he's like, Yeah, yeah, it's Devo. Right, right, exactly. Of course he'll do it. <laughs> so yeah, so the next day, I'm I'm like, Yeah, absolutely, please, I, I'm in. You know, yeah. the next day we land back in Sacramento and my phone rings and it's Jerry Casale from Devo. And he's just like, wants to talk about, you know, well, can you play to a click? Yes. Can you play without a click? Yes. And he's yeah. like, all right. Cause we do both. And he's like, and the, the click stuff is synced up to video screens. And if anything goes wrong, I'm like, gotcha. I, I gotcha. It's cool. But I, I had a month to, to prepare. For oh really? That. So yeah. Okay. I mean, they sent me and their set was, this is our set. This does not change. We play these songs in this order uh-huh. because it's all, it's all put together. It's all synced up. The first six songs were one long track synced to crazy video screens. Okay. And so they just basically sent me a live DVD that they had recorded from front of house of here's our set, here's how it looks, here's how it goes. So all I had to do was learn, mm-hmm. oh, this is how they play that song. So yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't learning from the albums because they played things differently right. live. So it was, I just basically every day went and played through that a couple times and... And that's Make nice, sure. too, because sometimes you get the studio, studio recording to go yeah. play live with a band, mm-hmm. and they're like, what are you doing? They're like, "I this is how I, but the tempos, the arrangements, yeah. all those things can it change. It was all there, yeah. So yeah, when I, and we had two rehearsals. Like, I, oh, okay. by the time they brought me out, we had one, because Mark Mothersbaugh has a, because he does a lot of film scores. Uh-huh. Um, he's got a production studio in on Sunset Boulevard. It's this weird green. It looks like a Roman building, but it's mm-hmm. how he painted it all like lime green. <laughs> And so we go into there to rehearse and they're so like casual and cool and laid back that I thought that they were just testing like, oh, can you hear okay? And they started the first track and I just jumped in and started playing and we played through the whole song and they were like, oh, this is going to be great. You know what you're doing. And then they moved on and I was like, oh, I didn't like, I thought we were just sound checking. They were like, no, that was cool. We'll just move on to the next. And we went through and I told my wife later, I'm like, playing these songs and I look up and you know there's these guys that I've seen since I was a kid right right I'm like I'm playing whip it with Devo like this is crazy (laughs) so great yeah so it just kind of came about that we had a small enough hole in the offspring schedule that you know I could do two weeks with them and it was hilarious because they have all of these costumes, right? And thankfully, like, Josh is taller than me, uh-huh. but Jeff and me are about the same size. So I fit the suit because they had this, like, <laughs> shiny, bright silver suit that reflected all the light. And, yeah. you know, you had to wear this mask to start out. But throughout the set, we were wearing four or five different outfits. <laughs> That's great. Of which we rehearsed changing none of them. <laughs> so we showed up at the first show 
and they're like and they had a have a guy with a michael who sets everything out and does all the production and he's just like all right here's how it's going to go you're going to start out in this suit at this point you're going to take the suit jacket off and you'll have your blue devo t-shirt on underneath and you put the energy dome on <laughs> so you take off the mask you take off the jacket you put on the dome now we're doing whip it and stuff now i got the dome on yeah um halfway through there's going to be a video that plays. It's a minute and 30 seconds. You have to come off stage, get all of that stuff off, put on a black Devo t-shirt Jeez. and this yellow hazmat suit with a belt. And then you come back out yeah. and your downbeat is at the end of this minute and 30 seconds. Good luck. Oh my gosh. And so I am being nervous and like, oh, we haven't rehearsed this. Thankfully I put on the yellow suit before, like, before the show just to see how it fit and the sleeves were so long that they covered my fingers so i was able to pre-roll them up oh yeah so that when i put it on it was okay and i was ready to play right yeah so i didn't know i mean i guess i should have known from watching the dvd that um the singer mark was going to run around at some point and rip people's yellow suits off while they're playing and then underneath and they have their black thing with the knee pads and okay the, and um so he, I didn't know he was going to come up to me. So I'm playing this song and I'm, you know, head down, just rocking out into it. The next thing I know, I'm on the floor <laughs> and I'm playing with one arm still on the kit, just trying to keep the beat until I can hop up. Thankfully, it wasn't a click song. It was just like, yeah. it was an open-ended guitar solo thing. And he, I look up and Mark is just like horrified. The, they had forgotten to put some rips in the sleeve as part of the gag, he would just rip my sleeve off. So in the video, like Josh knows it's coming and he, you know, he's playing and he sticks out his arm and they rip the sleeve off over the stick and he goes back and play. Yeah. Well, I didn't know it was coming. Yeah. And, uh, and they didn't pre rip it so that it would just come off. So he's yanking on this sleeve Pulling and you down pulls me pretty much almost all the way off of the drum kit. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm just like, I don't know what just happened. <laughs> So March of 2007, I'd been, I'd been unhappy in Saves a Day for a while. Mm-hmm. And we, we had had some personality clashes and a lot of difficulties there. And I stuck it out, again, longer than I should have. Yeah. Um, but I was just like, nope, this is my band. I, and I really enjoyed the music that we had made. But it got to the point where the drama outweighed the music tenfold. Yeah. And I just finally one day was like... I can't do this anymore. I'm done. And I told my wife and I was almost like, and I called all my endorsers the next day and I said, Hey, not that we were a big deal and anyone would care, but it was just out of respect to them. I'm like, I don't want you to hear it from anyone else. I quit the band last night. I don't know what I'm going to do next. I'll, I'll keep you posted. And they mm-hmm. were all cool. Thanks for letting us know. No problem. So you didn't have a plan. It just was at the I point no where plan. I couldn't do it anymore. You just couldn't do it. Gotcha. And I, I didn't want to play music anymore. I was so mm-hmm. just burned out on, the drama, the daily drama and Mm -hmm. the stuff that had nothing to do with the music anymore that I told my wife, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to play music. I was like, I think I'm going to be a paramedic or, or go on a different, she's just looking at me like, this is all you've ever done or wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And she's like, you're just going to go. And and so she knew she's smarter than me, obviously. And so she just was like, just take a few months and chill out. And so I, I really was like, didn't want, didn't want to play. I, I was just done and bummed out and was upset at the drums, uh, at everything. Mm-hmm. And, and I got a call for, um, this 
metal band mm-hmm. that was really popular and um but it was very like so and so from Sony Records is is call, uh, calling you and they want to talk about a gig but you can't tell and we can't tell you who it's for but they're interested in having you try out and I was just like all right well that's mysterious enough that I'm intrigued okay fine yeah, yeah. and then you know found out who it was and I was like all right that's cool I you know what maybe it's just punk rock that I'm sick of I'll, I'll go back and play some metal I'll be happy mm-hmm. and again my my little guardian angel Takumi calls me up and goes hey, you're not going to take that gig. And I was like, why? And he's like, you think you were in a bad situation oh. when you left? Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm telling you, this is not where you want to go. Yeah. It won't be any better for you. It's the worst. And so then after that, I think I had one call with their manager that really didn't go well, and he didn't seem interested in me, and I was just kind of like, yeah, okay. Yeah. And, it, and it just went away. Yeah. Um, and But at the same time, got called from... Um, a former business manager who was friends with managers for the offspring and they were looking for a drummer. And I was like, no, no punk rock. No, I I don't want to do it. And I just, I blew it off. Mm -hmm. And then it came around again a few weeks later from somebody else. Like, Hey, your name keeps coming up in circles. Like I didn't know those guys. I'd never done Mm -hmm. any tours or shows with them, but we knew a lot of mutual people and so my name kept coming across their plate. They weren't finding anyone they were happy with. Got another call from a different angle. Hey, you know, you should come down and meet with these guys. No, I didn't want to. Hmm. So finally, out of the blue, um, my rep at Zildjian, Kirsten, was really good friends with the former drummer, Adam, who had just moved on to doing Angels and Airwaves with um, Tom DeLong from Blink-182. Okay. And so he just couldn't do both bands, and mm-hmm. he, he moved over to that one. And she, so she gave my name to the headhunter guy who was, at this point, that's where they were at. It's just like, now we're, we're scouring the earth, which I appreciated. I was like, oh, wow, they're really finding the right guy. Okay. Like, they don't want to do this again. So I was like, all right. And he called and said, and I had I had an 818 number, even though I lived up north. So mm-hmm. I think he assumed I was there in L.A. And he's like, hey, can you come down tomorrow and just play these two songs? It's just, the, it'll be me and their manager and a video camera. The band won't be there. And I'm like, I'm, a, I'm like, all right, give me a minute. And I talked to my wife and she was like, just go down and do it. Yeah. And she's like, you're, you're not happy. Go and try it out like get the job before you decide if you want it. Right. Right. And, and I was like, all right, all right. So I learned their two songs, bought a Southwest plane ticket, flew down the next day, you know, rented a car, drove out there, played my two songs, you know, filled out my resume or whatever, left, came home, didn't, didn't think anything of Mm -hmm. it. And got a call the next day. Hey, come back next week. We're going to play these two songs with the band this time. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So the next week fly back down, go play the two songs met the band and was like, Oh wow, these guys are really cool. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm listening and, and to, you can hear the other people that are there playing the same songs while you're waiting to go in and you're like, all right. And, and it was one, again, one fast song and one what? more rock song. Sure. And you're always like, Oh, okay, well that guy is doing this really well or that guy's doing that really well, but nobody is, is hitting both of them right. really well. So then, that went well, even though I didn't think it went well. But then the singer called and left a message like, hey, will you come back again next week? Can you play these other four songs? So every time they gave me more songs to learn, it was covering another 
aspect because they they cover a lot of styles sure. through their music and so i was like all right cool so now i'm learning four other songs go back down the next week okay. play those four again while i'm playing those four i'm hearing people playing the first two still so i'm like oh wow they are really being thorough this is kind of cool okay um so after that then he calls and he's like that was great he's like can you come down next week um and just it'll just be me and you at my studio and we'll we'll play through some music and talk and so my last audition with them was sitting in a room with dexter the singer and we talked about music and you know we played through a couple songs but we had already done that he was really just wanting to get a a feel for me as a person, which, sure. which I appreciated, like how thorough they were. That like, they just, you know, you got the vibe that they were like, we're not a band that has turnover. Like the three of us have been together since the beginning. Like we want the right person, and we yeah. don't ever want to go through this again. Yeah. So I, I felt really good about it. And every week I was like, I was like, how? What do you feel? What do you feel? I'm like, I, I would do this. These guys are cool. Yeah. And so you know. Thankfully, ended up getting the job, and, uh, and there's a personality factor to it that they felt was important, and that is. probably was refreshing. And that's, I mean, you know, that that will come before even the playing. Sometimes, yeah. like I, you get even on the biggest of gigs, they they will always turn to people who are there and go, "Does anybody know someone? Mm-hmm. Can they mm-hmm. pull off the gig?" Mm-hmm. Or, or number one. Can we live with them yes. on tour? Number two, can they pull off the gig? Not yeah. are they phenomenal. Can they pull it off? Yeah. Are they cool to get along with? Because yeah. that's, you know, that's the, oh, the, yeah. the that's, huge that's component. The 23 hours, the 22 hours uh, together and then, mm-hmm. then before you're even on stage. Yeah, you got to be know. able to live with someone in very close quarters. So. Uh, one of the last things I wanted to ask you about was... Um, you guys, uh, you were in the studio with Offspring. Mm-hmm. Uh, Days Go By mm-hmm. was a record. Yeah. And uh, working with producer Bob Rock. Yeah, that was that was crazy for me because he was my first, like, you know, prof- like star producer guy. You know, I'd, I'd work with some great people and stuff, but, you know, of the people that are that you hear of. And it's like, oh, Bob Rock, here's the guy that did, you know, mm-hmm. Bon Jovi, Motley Crue, Metallica. Mm-hmm. The, my favorite stuff, he did like a Veruca Salt record and, mm-hmm. you know, weird stuff like that. Bob was cool. Um, and he was a he was very different than what I was used to. You know, yeah. I'm, I was used to with um, Saves a Day and Face to Face and even Jackson stuff going in and we'd rehearsed it and we we pretty much knew what we wanted mm-hmm. and I was right almost playing very similar stuff each take and just getting getting a, that that one feel the best sure. but I know what fills I want I know where this wants to right. go and he was very of the school of what if okay <laughs> that's that, yeah that's his thing is, right. you know we'd play through it and be feeling really good and the next thing you know he'd be like what if the chorus <laughs> sorry the chorus came down and we went into a cross stick thing and like the song completely turned on its head. Yeah. And you're like, all right, cool. So it was a lot of jumping through hoops and be like, nope, that didn't work. Go back to the other thing. But now take that thing and move the kick pattern to here. But, and it was cool because I'd never done that. And it uh-huh. was a fun challenge to be like, you know, in my head, nope, cross that one off. We're not doing that. Now it's this. Nope, now, now it's that. Now move that kick there. Did you write anything yeah. down? Or did... I would, but it, 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 I quickly realized that it was changing so rapidly yeah. that... Um, you know, I would write stuff down once it solidified, like, all right, the kick pattern, the chorus is this now, because he's very specific and Dexter's very specific of this is where I want these 
gotcha. these kicks to fall, and which was the another interesting thing of offspring versus say face to face was there was a lot of um, not double bass drum but fast doubles on your single kick in their beats. You know, it'd be like like that. Whereas offspring Dexter leaves more space, so he would take that same thing and go. You know, not a lot of doubles in there, so it was interesting for me to take the intensity I was used to having because I knew those other beats with the extra notes in them and have more space but still keep intensity. You know, right, it was, right, it was right. a neat kind of transition. It took me a little while to be like, huh, how do I hold space but yet still propel stuff forward? Yeah, that you know? is really interesting. That's I think that's something I'm kind of going through right now is uh, you hear a lot of session players play with this intensity but then when you dissect the groove that they're playing you find out how simple that kick drum is mm-hmm. and you're just like whoa but then that leaves room for uh, tone and kick drum length especially yeah. if you're taking the time to record acoustic drums then I mean depending on the style of music but um, you know sometimes less is more Yeah, in, exactly. the, in that way but maintaining the intensity yeah, you got to lock into your important. timing in that wave and just ride it. Like where you're dropping those beats in is, you know, that's um, showing your intensity. That's, that's showing your intent where you want the beat to go. But you've mm-hmm. got to feel that space. And you're, it's like you got to tap into a different sense of yourself to kind of ride that yeah, wave yeah, to, yeah. to keep it level. Right, right, but right. But pushing. Yeah. Know? So you have some time off now. Allegedly. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you, you're like, all right, What's cool, we're wrapped up for the year. Like, you know, Dexter the night's like, this is our last show of the year. And then you come home to an email of, well, <laughs> we might. Um, yeah, so hopefully we'll have some time off here. And, um, you know, my wife and I homeschool our daughters, and they, they both do a lot of theater and stuff. And just for our, my own travel, like if they want to come out and travel with me, we don't have to answer to anyone. Like they, they come out and travel. So they've, Wonderful. they're seeing the world and doing things. But I get them down in the studio here now a lot to record their own music and get you know get nice. them singing and get them used to being in a studio at, yeah. at a young age. My 8-year-old, her drum's over here. She loves heavy metal. So I know she's got the snare drum off to the left there. Or the extra she wanted, tom. yeah, she wanted it to look like Cause, right because you have that. Kid, I have an yeah. extra tom over there, but she's just like. And that was um, when she was born. My best friend Takumi had that drum made for her and has her name um, etched into the back into the abalone and stuff. So that's like her. She had her her own signature drum before she came out. But so yeah. I, I want to meet this Takomi. I mean, he yeah. sounds pretty amazing. How he's, can I be his friend too? Right? Yeah, he's <laughs> he's the best. He, he's just that dude that um, you he just knows everybody. He's been doing this forever, and he's the greatest guy. So again, he's the best at what he does, and everybody wants to work with him. I mean, he worked for Prince for eight Jeez. years, which people usually last three weeks. Right? You know, so he was there a long time running the whole production, and he yeah. had it down. But, uh, you know, it's interesting, though. It's it's nice to have that person in your court. And um, I mean, when you're in a position to help others, that's nice as well. But I mean, when we're speaking purely on those connections that we have that blossom into work, I, I was working with a friend of mine and uh, we were taking a break in the studio and he said, I said, man, I wish I could do a lot more of this. And he goes, you know what you need? His name's Eric. And he goes, you need about three more Eric's in your life and you'll be set. Yeah. I'm like, cause he goes, I just don't have enough work for you. 
But if you had two or three other guys, you know, Eric's like me. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's a it's a great idea. And it is surrounding yourself or making yourself available to the universe Mm -hmm. to people that can help you and then you can help them. And it there is a community that facilitates the work. Yeah. Well that it it, and absolutely and it make I mean my wife is a has told me repeatedly, she's like, who you surround yourself with will dictate like who you give your time to make sure that that time is, is your time's valuable. Make sure that you're giving it to the right people, not just to get something, but are these people that are enriching your lives? Yes. Are, are they bringing something to you or are they take, taking something from you? And, you know, like I said, you need more Eric's in your life. We yeah. need more Takumi's in our life. You yeah. Know, anything, I mean, it's been fascinating even just talking with you, tracing it back to my MI days. Anything that's come up for me could be construed as by accident. Mm. You know, I accidentally, you know, got... But in some ways not. Yeah, but it's funny you know, when you trace it back because it's like, mm-hmm. oh, every coincidence or every person I bumped into or this or that this person bumped into who needed someone and they said, oh, he's available, he's perfect, he'll do it. Mm-hmm. Like... It's such a weird confluence of events that get any of us where we are. That kind of, if you mm-hmm. sit back and look at it, you're like, God, if, you know, butterfly effect. If I pull yep. one of these cards out of the deck, yeah, everything is different. Everything's changed. It's like a family tree. You know, yeah. it starts with you and maybe the first people you meet, and then mm-hmm. that branches off. That person goes one direction, and they meet multiple people, and then you have somebody else that goes a completely different direction. That somehow it all connects in one way or another. But I love the way you put that. It's like it's not about developing relationships to find out what you can get it's and and so much about what you say about surrounding yourself with people that is going to create the type of environment that you want to live in and and the type of people you want to be around not just for work but for life itself and 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 for me my friend eric is that person too you know it's like not only do i enjoy working with him and he brought great opportunities for me I just like being around him and those kinds of things. And so finding those situations that you want to be in, finding the type of people that you want to, how you want to live. And like some of the band situations that you found yourself in, you're like, look, the music is good, but the situation is not happening. And that right now is more important, or that is more important to me. And as scary as it is to go, this is a a well-established act. Like we make money. we're We're selling some records. We do well on tour. I'm leaving for nothing. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think Mm -hmm. some people and even fans of that band were like, even though I had clearly left the band in March and didn't join the Offspring till July, there's still people that are like, oh, you you quit Saves the Day to join the Offspring. I'm like, no, mm-hmm. I, I quit Saves the Day to quit Saves the Day. Yeah. Like, I had no prospects. And even yeah. the same thing, like, you can trace it back. I hate to equate that to working, busting tables at a restaurant, but when I quit that job, I really had nothing. You know, I was mm-hmm. had two shifts a week mm-hmm. at the rehearsal studio, but mm-hmm. it was just like, I need to open myself up to that there will be something else that will come right. along. You have to do it for yourself. You yeah. can't do it for other people. Yeah, or to just get myself out of this situation that's toxic and it's no good for me. I, I, I love my wife. She is the smartest person I know. And, and her one of the best advice she's given me among many was get the gig and then decide whether you want it. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to take it. Yeah. 
but yeah. at least go look into it. Sure, sure. You know? That's yeah. like, all right, that's, you know. Words to live by. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? Maybe I should have been talking to her all along. Oh, you should. I'll go get her. <laughs> I'm sure she's got yeah. great, great insights for you. Yeah. As most uh, partners do, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Hey, man, thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah. To thanks for me. having me. This has been really fun, even for me to kind of retrace my steps and cool. and see how everything works out. You know? Yeah. It's yeah. fun. No, cool. Thanks for having me over here, too. Absolutely. Cool. Thanks for coming out here. It's, it's sure. been nice. I knew it would be nice and quiet in here. So. It's very nice. Yeah, it's like if you turn the lights off, it's a sensory deprivation tank, kind of. You're just like, uh. it's three. Walls. Well, and, and 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 the last thing I'll say is, um, in the studios where you record a lot of stuff, so you can go to YouTube, you can go to your website, yeah. uh, com and you can see some of the videos that you've shot on here, and it sounds great. It's, it looks, it, it's cool, man. So thanks, I'm glad yeah. you like it. I've been having a lot of fun in here. It was it was nice for me to move into a place where I could actually play my own drums in my own home, which I hadn't had since I was a kid in my parents' house. You Yay. Know. Can't do that in LA in your Those apartment. Those things are fun. I'm going to do that this afternoon. Nice. So <laughs> go. I'm going to say goodbye so I can go play drums. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks, Pete. So there's my conversation with Pete, super nice dude. He's a humble and a bit of a soft-spoken guy, but if you know his playing or get a chance to check out his YouTube clips, you will see what a powerful drummer he is in spite of any assessment one might have just based on his chill demeanor. He's definitely the kind of person you'd want to have in the studio or on a tour bus. I still want to meet his uh, friend Takumi. I think I said Takomi because I'm a doofus. My thanks as always to Mike Jackson for his technical help. Tune in next week for Zach Albetta's interview. also want to let you know that we are conducting a survey. If you go to workingdrummer.net the survey will pop up and it takes like 40 seconds to do it's 10 simple questions and you'll be entered into a drawing Aquarian is providing three prizes Uh, you can see the descriptions on there so go check that out Uh, just take two seconds to do you can also find a link on our Facebook page so as always thanks again for listening thanks for everyone's support and I hope to see you around bye bye